You are listening to a message from First Assembly of God. We are a church on a mission to restore everyone, everywhere, to a loving and holy God. If today's message inspires you in any way, would you consider sharing it with a friend? This is just one of the many ways that you can be a part of what God is doing here at First Assembly. Amen. We are continuing in our series, Don't Fight Fair. It was great to have a one-week break with Todd Lucas here. My wife, Angela, is slowly improving. We meet with the oncologist tomorrow, and uh, we'll be making some making some decisions about treatment plan moving forward, but thank you for your, your prayer. So don't fight fair. Whenever you go toe-to-toe, face-to-face, you're in conflict, you're in challenge, whether it's in the boardroom, the lunchroom, the conference room, or the bedroom, you want to fight to win. Everyone wants to win. No one wants to lose. And when you're head to head, I mean, you want to you win. So in, in light of that, and in the spirit of loving kindness, but definitely wanting to win, I'm just, uh, just going to preach the rest of the service today. And uh, there we go, going for the sweep. Now, actually, about a third of you are just about thinking you're going to walk out the door, so I will not be a living distraction with my Baez jersey on. But we're trained, we're raised, and our own nature compels us to fight, to win, to fight fair. But we're here over these few weeks to say, don't. Don't fight fair. In Jesus' victory on Good Friday through Easter Sunday morning, through Resurrection Day, Jesus won the victory, but he didn't fight fair. In fact, Jesus yielded himself. And as you read the story, you can shout to Jesus, come on, Jesus, you can outwit Judas and outsmart you know, the religious leaders, and you can overrule. Pilate, you can win. Come on, let's fight. Fight for yourself. Fight to be saved. You can win this fight, Jesus. And he refuses to fight fair, and he surrenders himself to seeming loss. But we know that that seeming loss three days later turned to overwhelming victory. Could it be that Jesus provides a model for us that demonstrates that real victory, lasting victory, winning the things that really matter in life are not accomplished by fighting fear. What if there's a completely different process? Jesus said this, John chapter 18, my kingdom is not an earthly kingdom. If it were, my followers would fight. Everyone say fight. If my kingdom were earthly, my followers would fight to keep me from being handed over to the Jewish leaders. But my kingdom is not of this world. Jesus wasn't fighting to win. You may want to write this down. Jesus wasn't fighting to win a fight. Jesus wasn't fighting to win a fight. He fought to win the fight. Right? Not a fight, not a skirmish, not a temporary victory, not a moment of conflict, not my life versus Pilate's, not Jesus versus the Roman soldiers, not Jesus versus Judas. 
It was Jesus, Jesus versus sin. There was a bigger fight, a bigger battle that people just couldn't see. Jesus wanted to save people from sin more than he wanted to save his own skin. That was our message on Resurrection Day. God knows that that fight is worth fighting, that your salvation from sin, that's the fight that really mattered. You're worth dying for. John, the disciple, the disciple who self-identified himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved, would say, this is what real love is. Not that I'm actively pursuing to love God. No, real love. The defining love is that God chose to love us and to send Jesus not to fight fair, not to win a fight, but to win the fight for my salvation and for yours. Don't fight fair. So don't fight fair in marriage. Often in marriage, it's me versus you, husband versus wife. I win, you lose. Or you win, and I lose. And if I lose, I'm still going to win because I'm going to be grumpy for a week and make your life miserable. Or if I lose, I'm still going to win. I'm going to go shopping on that credit card, and I'm just going to get back, you know, passive-aggressive, some, you know, win or lose, and even if I lose, I'm still going to win. Fighting fair. Married couples, listen, there's a much bigger battle happening in your marriage. It's not a fight, it's the fight. Ephesians 6 says we're not fighting against flesh and blood. We're not fighting against your spouse. We're not fighting husband versus wife. We're fighting enemies, evil rulers, authorities of the unseen world against mighty powers in this dark world, evil spirits in heavenly places. Husbands, listen to me. Wives, hear me. Your enemy is not your spouse. A fight is not the fight. There is a real fight, and there are real enemies that want to take you both down. This is going to sound like a throwback to the 70s. I'm using language a little bit here in a moment. You don't often hear. It's a little King James-like, but to me it resonates with how I was raised, and maybe it'll resonate with you. There's three real enemies you're facing, and that's the world, the flesh, and the devil. And over and over and over and over and over, world, flesh, and devil... The cravings that are found in the world, the pride of the world, the desires of your own sinful flesh, and the temptations and the snares and the traps and the schemes of supernatural powers of darkness exemplified in Satan and his minions. The world, flesh, and devil. Say those with me. World, flesh, and devil. I know, did you just just feel like we went back three decades there for a moment? But it's true. A fight may be happening, but the fight is happening on another level. The world, 1 John puts it this way, do not love this world nor the things it offers you. A craving, say craving. You crave some things that are in this world. You crave physical pleasure. You crave the things you see that look enticing. The pride in our achievements and possessions, that feeling you get when you go out and you buy that new car and you pull into the parking lot at Corporate South, you just 
feel like you elevated yourself a little bit? Aren't you just a little bit more special? The new set of golf clubs, a new pair of shoes. It's the cravings in this world and the false sense of pride we get through possessions. Watch out. Husband, that's what's really warring against you. Man, you just want the stuff of the world. Wives, what's your real enemy? Man, the stuff that you're craving that is for your destruction. The flesh, James chapter 4 says, what's causing the quarrels and fights among you? What starts those arguments between you, wife, and you, husband? Don't they just come from the gross, evil desires that are at war within yourself? That's the flesh. Translation from the Greek word sarks, that sinful nature is the newer, trans, the newer uh, Bible translations would put it that way. The internal sinful drive that just wants to do what God doesn't want me to do. And it's in you, husband, and in you, wife, and the problem isn't your spouse. The problem is your own flesh, that sinful nature. Third problem is the devil. First Peter says, stay alert, watch out for your great enemy, the devil. It goes on to say, he's like a lion looking to devour the husband and the wife. Don't fight fair. Don't fight here. There is a common enemy seeking to destroy the sanctity, the beauty, the harmony of a Christian marriage. Don't fight a fight. Fight together the fight. You have a common enemy common threats, and you also have a common goal, a common destination. It is a beautiful thing when a husband can say, I want Jesus' will more than my own. It is a beautiful thing when a wife can say, I want Jesus' will more than my own. And it's no longer husband's will versus wife's will. It's our will yielding to Jesus's. And when husband can see the common threats, and when wife can recognize flesh, world, devil, and we see the same enemies, and we share the common interest, the common goal, the common destination, it's not where I want to go, it's not where I want to go, it's where Jesus wants us to go. And suddenly, the fighting that seems to be fair, my argument versus your argument, my will versus your will, what I think is right versus what you think is right, becomes, what does he think is right? Pastor Katie, who we got? We need, we need, a, we need a married couple. I think you've got someone picked out. Come on, give a big round of applause to whoever the, the poor volunteers are that Pastor Katie, all right. If that is how weak our applause is going to be, I'm going to ask the McKees to sit down, and I'm going to pick one of you. No, I'm just kidding. Come on. Come on. Give them a round of applause. Come on up here. Have a seat. All right. I wondered who would take the driver's seat. Matt, you got the driver's seat. There you go. At least in America. We, 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 could, be, we, could, be, we could be the British car, but we're going to come over here. So, excellent. So, let me just kind of illustrate this a little bit. Marriage is like... You are bound together, and you're along for this ride, and the goal is, 
We're watching out for these common threats. The sin in Matt. Just a little. Slightly less than summer. The world, the desires, the cravings, the pride that's in stuff and the plots and schemes of the enemy, to together avoid that, and to together to determine where does Jesus want us to go. It's not Matt's will versus Summer's will, it's Jesus' will. And how do we find that? And what's so unique is when you're together in marriage, you know, the car, usually the one person's got the driver's seat, one person's got the steering wheel, but in marriage, it's kind of here, so the per- Man, you guys did that perfect. And now here, Summer, give me your left hand. There you go. Matt, there you go. All right, there we go. One hand on the wheel. Summer, this is where I feel Jesus wants us to go. Matt, this is where I feel Jesus wants us to go. And one hand free to say, babe, I love you. Honey, I'm with you. We're unshakable together against every temptation of the world, every evil desire of the flesh, and every um, plan and scheme of the enemy. We got each other. Now let's go. But boy, that is so easily said and so difficult to do. Because God has a way of putting us together with people who can, like, see the world, the flesh, and the devil in the other person a whole lot better than they can see the world, the flesh, and the devil in themselves. Have you ever noticed that? Like, I can see what's going on, like, that's not quite right in my wife's way of thinking. Maybe one one of the things she wants to do, I'm like, ah, you know, we shouldn't do that because of this, 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 and I know my way is right, and I can see the flaws in her, and they're minuscule. I just might just want to make that clear. And my wife can certainly see my faults and my failures long before I can see them in myself. The Bible says the heart is deceitfully wicked. The worst person to evaluate my inner motives is me. I can't tell you how many times in our soon-to-be 25 years of marriage that my wife has told me what I'm feeling and thinking before I even know I'm feeling or thinking it. And sometimes it takes me three days to come back there and say, you remember when you told me? You're right. God has put you together to fight the fight, and you need each other's strengths and weaknesses. You need each, strengths, you need each other's strengths to identify one another's weaknesses, temptations, and flaws. Matt needs summer because summer can see if Matt starts to veer a little bit too far one way. Summer needs Matt because Matt can see if Summer's starting to trail off a different way. And they both keep their hands to the wheel and work together to drive their marriage forward. Some dangers start to happen, though. When someone starts to play God a little bit too much, and they grab the wheel with both hands. Matt, both hands on the wheel. Oh, wait a minute. You need to hold on, on to Summer. So put your hand back. Okay, so put both hands. <laughs> I didn't think of that. <laughs> you just killed my illustration. 
So pretend you can't do that. Put both hands on the wheel again. Yeah, do it. you were just doing it. There you go. My point is this. Whenever one spouse begins to think, I've got a corner on God. I know God a lot better than you. We're going to go this way. Suddenly, this connection is a little bit broken. There we go. That's better. But whenever someone has danger, let's flip that back around. Summer, you take both hands. Whenever a wife says, I'm in charge, and usurps authority, says, I know what we need to do, and rips the wheel out of the hand of the spouse, this relationship is severed because someone's trying to control and play God. You know, my wife can hear from God just as much as I can. Your spouse can hear from God just as much as you can. What's challenging in marriage is it's so different. Some of you are married to someone who thinks they hear from God or claims to hear from God, or maybe they genuinely do hear from God very quickly. Making a big decision, and you guys, you know what? Let's just bring this before the Lord and pray. And one spouse goes, okay, yep, we're going to go my way. (laughs) And you're like, how did you discover God so fast? I was thinking it would take like a month to fast and pray. Some people hear from God slowly through studying the Word and long times of earth. Some people have visions or dreams or feelings or they see things. And we hear from God, discover God's path differently and at different times, and we need one another. The moment either spouse grabs at the wheel with both hands, you're starting to go off course. The other problem is sometimes a spouse just lets go. Some are... Okay, there you go. Matt's, yeah. No. Matt's got it with both hands and Summer's checked out. In fact, when that happens, great. Your hand's probably not even on Matt anymore. Put both hands in your lap, Summer. There you go. And now you've checked out. Matt's, I've got this. The Lord will speak to me. The Lord will lead me. I'm the priest of my home Be careful. Usually when a man says, I'm the priest of my home, they're really not meaning priest. They're meaning king. They're meaning rule, authority, and power. A priest is one who sacrificially empathizes with the people, holds one hand there and one hand to God and intercedes for the two. The priest isn't an angry, ruling authority figure with the scepter to beat his followers. So be careful when some male-dominant person tries to rule. No, 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 no. Be careful. Be the real priest, sacrificially leading. Because when one lets go, sometimes it's the other way around. Sometimes there's a, a man who becomes the passive husband. Whatever you want, sweetheart. Hey, what do we need to do to discipline these kids? Whatever you say. How are we going to pay these bills? Whatever you think we need to do. I'm just here watching TV. And the man checks out, and he fails to keep a hand on the wheel. Just sits on his couch, watches his sports, plays his games, does his hobbies, does his job. You take care of it all, baby. I trust you. For the first two, three, five years, may make the wife feel pretty good. I'm in charge here. I can make it all happen. I can do it all. But you wait. Year after year will go by, and pretty soon, there's this huge gap between the two of them. 
You've got a disrespected, cowering, unfulfilled husband with a tired, exhausted, eventually angry wife, and it's hard to keep it together. One hand on the wheel, right there. One hand around each other. I need to hear from Jesus. You need to hear from Jesus. We need to watch out for one another's weaknesses and sins. We're here to speak into each other's life in loving kindness and truth. If the only preacher you have in your family is me, you're in trouble. Your spouse is the most important spiritual influence in your life. Save Jesus and the Father and the Holy Spirit. You should be working together. If the only sermons you hear, the only challenge you get, the only time anyone steps on your toes is when I do it on a Sunday, your marriage probably isn't speaking truth to one another. Families, husbands and wives are put together not to make each other happy, but to make each other holy. God wants to use you, husband, to see your wife grow. So wives, let your husbands speak into your life. Husbands, wives are put into your life to help you grow. So let her speak into your life to make you grow. And together, you can find and follow Jesus. Don't fight fair. Fight the real fight. Round of applause for our volunteers who steered so well. You guys can. I wish marriage was like a, those cars at Disney World. You know that? You get in those cars and you sit there with your little toddler and they follow that little track. No matter how you turn the wheel, you just go the right way. Here's a picture of our family at Disney World about, I don't know. There we go. That's my... Uh, now 21-year-old and now 19-year-old at Disney World for the first time. I didn't have a picture of them driving the cars. But you know the cars I'm talking about, right? Do you know the cars I'm talking about? You sit beside, you let the little kid drive, and they think, oh, this is so cool. And whatever they do, wherever they go, they stay on course. Not true in marriage. Not true. Keep one hand on the wheel, one hand around each other. God honors and uses a marriage when there's mutual strength. Everyone say mutual strength. Mutual strength. With mutual submission. Let me get through the last 30 minutes in 10. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So who submits to whom? We all submit to each other. You know, pastors submit to congregations. Congregations submit to pastors. We mutually submit. Why? Out of reverence for the Lord. Because the goal isn't my will or your will. It's Jesus' will. And sometimes leaders submit. You know, got me? Same is true in marriage. Verse 21, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. For wives, this means you submit like this. For husbands, this means you submit like this. Both marriage partners submit one to another, but it looks a little bit different because our temptations are a little bit different. Paul goes on to explain. For wives, this means submit to your husband. So he's going to explain. So you submit to one another. Wives, here's how it looks for you. Wives, this means submit to your husbands. 
as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of his wife, just as Christ is the head of the church. He is the savior of the body of the, the his body, which is the church. As the church submits to Christ, so you wives should submit to your husbands and everything. It's about authority. It's about yielding yourself to honor the authority of your husband. Submit and yield to authority. For husbands, we submit differently. Here it is. For husbands, this means what? Love. So submit to one another. Wives, submit and give authority to your husband. Husbands, submit to your wives, giving sacrificial love. This means love your wives, just as Christ loved the church. Christ gave up his life sacrificially for the church. In the same way, husbands, you love your wives with that kind of self-sacrificing love. For a man who loves his wife is actually showing love for himself, for no one hates his own body, but feeds and cares for it, just as Christ cares for the church. So husbands, you're submitting to your wife too in love. Baby, what can I do to show you love? How can I self-sacrifice to show you care and support and nurture and grow? I will give and sacrifice and submit to demonstrate love to you. You submit and sacrifice to show authority and respect for me. And that's how Paul ends the passage in verse 33. He sums it all up in two words. So I say, each man must love. Every man in here say love. How do you submit to your spouse, men? You love, self-sacrificially. And the wife must respect her husband. Every lady in the room, say respect. respect. You respect. The wife keeps one hand on and says, honey, I respect you. I respect your opinion. I respect your role. I respect your leadership. I respect the way you sacrifice for our family. The husband says, dear I love you. I'll sacrifice for you. What do you need? What do I have to do? How do I demonstrate love? When there is submission to sacrificially love the wife and there is submission to show respect to the husband, you stay on course to follow Jesus. Stop fighting fair. Fight the real fight. And the real fight is to follow Jesus, avoid the world, the flesh, and the devil, Husband self-sacrificially loving his spouse, his wife, and the wife self-submitting, self-sacrificially saying, I respect you, and together we follow Jesus. Amen. I'm going to ask our ushers to hand out our cards at the close of our service. Just some response cards. These will not be turned in. These are for you to meditate on, to reflect on, and fill out. Let me ask you, how's your marriage doing? Couples, how's your marriage? How would your spouse answer that question? Are you stuck in a fight? And you're so consumed with this fight here that you're missing the fight here. Are you so consumed with a conflict that you've missed the conflict? Don't fight fair. Unite together to fight the good fight, the real fight to follow Jesus. Husband, have you let go of the wheel? Are both hands off the wheel and you've just become passive, sitting to the side, allowing the stress and the pressure and the weight to rest solely 
on your wife. Ladies, have you grabbed the wheel with both of your hands, fighting for control? Would each of you just let go with one hand, one hand on the wheel, one hand to one another? Are you submitting to one another out of love and respect? Husbands, are you loving the woman God gave to you with a self-sacrificing love like Jesus had for the church? Wives, are you yielded to show respect to the authority of your husband like a church should yield to follow Jesus' purpose and his plans? God wants our marriages to stop fighting fear and to fight for the real fight. One more thought, actually two more thoughts, and I've got to do this quickly. Number one, let me address an issue. Maybe you're here today and you're married, but your spouse isn't a believer. Perhaps you're married, you're in the car together, you're doing your best, one hand on the wheel, one hand around each other. How do you follow Jesus when you're married to someone who isn't following Jesus himself or herself? First Peter puts it this way, in the same way you wives, and the same goes for husbands, in the same way you wives or husbands, respect the authority of your spouse. Then if some refuse to obey the good news, even if they refuse to obey the good news, your godly life will speak to them without any words. They will be won over by observing your pure and reverent lives. Stay in your marriage. If your unbelieving spouse wants the marriage to continue, stay in that marriage. Serve Jesus as best as you can. Husbands, love your unbelieving wife. Wives, love and respect your unbelieving husband and ask God to redeem the marriage and follow him together. Don't give up. Don't walk away. Finally, this one, I don't know how I'm going to have time to do it, but I felt like I needed to address it. Let me talk briefly about couples who are together but not together. I mean, you're together, but you're not together. You're living together, sharing life together, sharing sex together, sharing money together, sharing bills together. Your life is fully together, but you're not together in marriage. Let me address a couple of things. You may be wondering, why would God put such a big deal on a 30-minute ceremony? Why would God put a big, say it's so important, have a piece of paper signed by a pastor or a judge that's filed at the county clerk? Why does it even matter? Because we love each other and we're sharing life and this is all good. Besides, it seems wise, we save money, our family supported, it's okay. Why would God make a big deal about marriage? There's a lot we could say, probably a whole sermon, but I want to hit one thing. This is an important lesson that I've tried to teach my kids. I think it's something we need to hear. For this to work well, God has a plan. And I'll put it simply this way. It's one statement on a slide. The strength of commitment always holds the weight of intimacy. All morality is based on the character of God. Parents, the best you can do to teach your kids that one principle, save you time, save you lots of lessons, it's basically this, we know right from wrong by knowing who Jesus is. And if it models and reflects Jesus' character, that shows us morality. Jesus is the truth. Jesus demonstrated that commitment, the strength of commitment carries the weight of all intimacy. 
God gave the ultimate commitment, I give you my son's life. And that bond of commitment holds the weight of all intimate relationship. I can trust God when he says, I will never leave you or forsake you. I trust that because his commitment is so great. And he proved it to me. Strength of commitment always carries the weight of intimacy. I've got a two and a half pound weight here. And you can't see this. I've got a little fishing line. Not very strong, but not a lot of weight. I can put the fishing line in here and I might be able to hold it. You come to me and you say, hey, Pastor Joel, can I borrow five bucks? Are you going to pay me back? If you say yes, here's the five bucks. Or maybe I'll just give it to you because it's just five bucks. What happens if someone comes to me and says, can I borrow $5,000? Suddenly, my little fishing line, oh, it might actually hold. It does. Another illustration gone bad. (laughs) The weight, as the weight grows, you want the commitment to be stronger. You may say, all right, you want to borrow $1,000? Tell you what, what's your payment plan? Can you pay me back $100 a month for 10 months? Yeah, do you want to sign a little piece of paper to do that or shake my hand, look me in the eye, tell me you're going to promise and that strength of commitment grows. It can hold more weight. You go to the bank, you want to buy a house, you want to borrow $100,000, all you got to do is walk in, shake their hands, walk out, they'll give you $100,000. Not at all. That's what, caused the, <laughs> that's what caused the housing crisis. You walk to a banker, you say, I want to borrow $100,000. They say, Sure. Fill out these 400 pages. We want to know everything about your entire life because we need commitment that's strong enough to hold the weight. When it comes to intimate experiences, I could share a funny story on a Sunday morning. Man, I slipped and fell in the mud. It was so embarrassing. Everybody laughed. And you could go here. Everybody could share that story and make fun of my experience, and I'm good with that. I could share with you a story of a time I felt deeply betrayed and a close personal friend at a time of weakness cut me down and hurt me. And if I share that kind of story, I hope you all have my back. Maybe you could share a story about a time you were raped. You would want that personal conversation with a friend to have a huge commitment. Can I really trust you? Is the strength of our commitment strong enough to carry the weight of this intimacy? Because God knows when you share things that are intimate, it must be preceded by a commitment that can carry that weight. What is breaking our society so much is that we share so many intimate things with so many people who have little commitment. We'll post things on social media hoping to receive some affirmation and people will use it for our demise because there's no commitment. And we've raised a generation that doesn't understand commitment must always precede the intimacy. And if it doesn't, the bigger the intimacy, the harder it's going to fall, the more damage it's going to do. And God knows in your personal relationships
When you begin to build an intimate life, you're sharing life together, your intimate stories, your money, your dreams, your plans, your bodies, and you go from a little side hug to holding hands to a full hug naked in the bed, the weight of that intimacy should be guarded by the strength of commitment. So perhaps you're here today and we've been talking about marriage. I just want you to know there's nothing more beautiful than the strength of commitment that can walk you through everything in life. Baby, I've got you. We're following Jesus. And if you start living your life with those kind of intimate relationships without the bond of commitment, you're heading for destruction. That's why God doesn't want you to do it. So if you're here and you're together but not together, this is a guilt-free zone. No one's here to despise you, ridicule you, say, what, what are you doing? What are you no, no, none of that. We're here to say God has a better plan. And I think you and your boyfriend, you and your girlfriend should look each other in the eye and say, are we really going to follow Jesus or are we not? And if you say yes, then follow Jesus all the way. Separate for a time, a time of discipline, a time of renewal. Come and we'll get you married in a hurry. If God has put you together for life, make that commitment first and then share intimacy your whole life through. The good, the challenging, the difficult, cancer diagnosis, great times, bad times, the commitment holds you together. That's why it's important. Jesus, we want to follow you. So to the married couples here, we want to stop fighting fear and fight for the real things that matter. Protect us from the flesh and the devil and the cravings and pride of this world. And may we follow you, one hand on a wheel, one hand around each other, mutually submitting out of love and respect. And Jesus, if there are couples here that truly love each other and they want to follow you, I pray, God, they'll make the deep conviction decisions that will really protect them, guard them, and keep them through their entire relationship. Thank you for the beauty of marriage. What a gift to us in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope that you got a lot out of today's message and that you'll share it with a friend. To stay connected with what's happening here at First Assembly, be sure to go to the App Store and type in 1-A-G-B-N to download the app. Remember, God's created you for a great purpose. Now go and live it out today.